Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 855am, and we're streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are also available at 3cr.org.au and at freedomofspecies.org. All previous podcasts are available by iTunes or your favourite podcasting app. And thank you very much to Sally and Out of the Pan uh, for that um, that great show. And now we're here to talk about animals. And today in the studio is myself, Adam, and Nick Pendergrast, the another co-host of Freedom of Species. And we're actually both um, very interested and do some research in the area of environmental environmentalism and animals. Uh, my background in particular is um, ecological sciences and environmental sciences, and I'm interested in um, how animal agriculture, these sorts of things, impact the environment. And Nick, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I guess in an academic sense, I'm sociologist. So I guess what I'm more interested in is more the social side of things. I've definitely done some um, research into the more scientific side of things as an activist, like looking into the environmental impact of animal agriculture, but Adam's definitely expert on that. But what my expertise as a social scientist is more looking at framing in in the movement, in different movements. So basically framing involves like what you emphasise, what you stress, is important those kind of things so that's the kind of things i'd look at what as animal advocates what what we're sort of talking about what we're emphasizing what we're promoting and also environmental movements and how they go together as well and i would also mention that we also both approach the issue as activists as well so i actually myself and i I believe adam was similar in this regard got into human rights and environmental issues before animals and so i guess we will talk a bit about issues like the environmental impact of animal agriculture, but also the importance of people who are vegan looking at environmental issues beyond just being vegan. And so for me, getting involved in these environmental and human rights issues first and then animals, certainly I yeah, definitely think it's important to bring in animal issues to those but not dismiss yeah, environmental issues or human rights issues as uh, unimportant, even if they don't directly relate to veganism, for example. And on on this point, we there was a um, a forum or a conference called Students of Sustainability um, that's run every year by lots of great um, people in the uh, sustainable movement, sustainability environmental movement, and put on um, across Australia. This year it was in Melbourne, and we were lucky enough to have the opportunity to speak about uh, animals at the conference uh, because we, we've seen, or from my perspective, I've been both in the environmental movement and the animal movement for a little while, and I see there's a real conflict there. Environmentalism, 
they while lots of people within that movement care about animals um, and might even be vegan, mm. they often do not um, you they don't really contextualize environmental um, protection from the perspective of animals. Mm. Animals are sort of um, uh, denied in that space a lot of the time unless they're endangered or unless they're wildlife and they also there's there's also a big um, big gap in how environmentalists see animal agriculture and it, it its impact on the environment um, and we wanted to sort of try and uh, sh- have a discussion start a discussion around that that really if we are going to achieve environmental liberation or environmental protection um, at a scale that is meaningful for both um, ecologies and species then we must also be including animal liberation and animal animal protection um, and from that ethic we can we can gain um, benefits for both areas both movements um, but without without uh, taking into consideration animals, and in particular farmed animals, um, we will not see any meaningful gains in environmental um, protection. Mm. And this really comes off the back of quite a a large body of research that exists um, now that shows the the connection and the impact that um, animal agriculture has on the environment. And we'll, we'll, we're going to chat about that today. So Yeah, and I should also mention that uh, we shared, just before we went to air, we shared Adam's uh, PowerPoint on this issue. So there's lots of great visuals you can check out. So that would be the most recent post on our Facebook page, Freedom of Search, Freedom of Species on Facebook. And you can find that. Yeah, lots of really... Uh, Really powerful graphs and images that are well worth checking out. And also, if you're listening to this after the fact uh, on freedomofspecies.org, we'll make sure we put a link up to that PowerPoint as well there. Yeah, and that, that PowerPoint will have a lot of the um, references, mm. um, referencing the research that we talk about in today's uh, discussion. So now people people listening might be aware of, of some of the research or might have an idea or an understanding that you know um, a plant-based diet is much better for the environment than a diet that does consume animal flesh and maybe maybe we don't know why that is or um, what the intricacies are around that um, and that's what we'll, we'll chat about and what I, what I hope to um, share but I just want to want to put it within context. So the reason this is important is because we are in the sixth mass extinction event, um, the, the, what some people are calling the Anthropocene, where human, um, human activity is having such a large impact on the globe that we are seeing um, extinction rates of species as quickly as we've seen in other mass extinction events, like when a huge meteor hit the, hit the um, planet and wiped out the dinosaurs. That's what so humanity is like a massive meteor hitting the planet, mm. and we're seeing mass extinctions at a rate um, as equivalent to the other six mass extinction events in Earth's history, mm-hmm. and that is just that fact is quite incredible, um, uh, and we see this through this is really being driven by um, land use and um, deforestation, habitat destruction, de- degradation. And Australia in particular, if um, you're listening from Australia, we're, we're recording from Australia, so it hits close to home here, is uh, the worst continent in terms of extinctions and extinction rate um, in recent history. So we have the, the largest extinction rate or the 
for a continent for mammals, I believe. Um, and for instance, in 2016, another species was declared as extinct in Australian territory, and that's the Bramble K melamus, a small, um, small um, rodent-like animal. And that animal no longer exists. That species no longer exists. And importantly, those individuals that made up that species mm. no longer have the opportunity to live. Um, and that's, that's sad. Mm. And the other, the other important thing to think about in terms of um, species extinction and habitat degradation is that our environment and our ecologies are so intertwined that you have certain things happening and shifting that it can have cascade effects on both the local environment and the wider environment. So if you change water quality somewhere, it's not only going to impact that, that local area, it might impact lots of other places. And that might have um, drastic impacts and effects on the ecosystem as a whole and communities. So while we might um, see the loss of one species, that might cause this cascade of the loss of other species, um, both plants and animals. Mm. And so it's a real concern. It's something that um, conservationists have been, have been fighting um, for maybe 50, 60 years from the sort of 40, 50, 60s, um, but not having a lot of success at um, we're seeing more degradation, more um, more climate change, or, um, and greenhouse gases going up into the atmosphere, and we're not seeing a lot of gains. And in fact, Queensland has one of the highest rates. Queensland, the state in Australia, has one of the highest rates of deforestation in the world. Um, so within that context, it's really important to to figure out what are the drivers, what are the biggest drivers of this environmental change mm. and can we influence those so that we can protect the environment and create a sustainable world mm. where we can live, um, humans can live, we are part of the environment, we, we, we um, arguably, well, we do make the biggest impact on environments globally. Um, how can we live so that we allow ecosystems and other species to live as well? And research, recent research has shown that the biggest impact, the biggest um, industry that has, um, or the industry that has the biggest impact in, on environments globally is agriculture, and in particular, animal agriculture. Um, so, for instance, if we think about, and, and there's, some, there's some figures, and I'll try to stay away from specifics because it's hard to convey um, in, on the radio <laughs> without having um, some pictures in front of you. But if you close your mind's eye and imagine these, uh, these sort of figures, um, the number of animals, so the number of animals that are, or animals make up a certain amount of biomass. So the earth, the earth can um, sustain a certain amount of animals. And we, we calculate this by the mass that those animals make up. So, you know, if we had, um, you could go to your office and you'd, you could find the biomass of the humans in that office and that would be the um, total mass of those people that live there. And they will take a certain amount of resources to sustain in that office. So globally, someone's done a recent research um, that's looked at this and they've tried to um, predict or estimate, sorry, the biomass of different types of animals on earth and you would think that wildlife would be pretty pretty huge because 
you know, the, we think that there's large areas of wild um, world out there and that there's lots of different animals, lots of different species. But when they broke it down and they looked at um, mammals across um, the terrestrial world, the, they showed that only 4% of all the mass that's made up of, of mammals comes from wildlife. So those are uh, individuals that are not um, controlled by humans. 36% of biomass, global mammal, mammalian biomass, is human. And 60% is made up by mammalian livestock. So that's your cows, your sheep, your camels, all of those, those um, sorts of species. And it's just massive. Mm. And if we look at avian species, so birds, um, 30% of the biomass of all birds, we are saying, all birds are made up of wild birds and 70% of all the birds, all, all of the massive birds on, on the earth are made up of poultry, so predominantly chickens and, you know, ducks and geese and those sorts of um, animals as well. Mm. And I was going to say as well that it's definitely accepted in the environmental movement that we have to address issues like climate change, environmental destruction. But I, I guess, um, and we'll kind of return this later to the vegan movement, I think a lot of the problem kind of refers back to last episode we spoke with uh, Jess Eisen and talking about, oh, no, the real issue is animals. It's not homophobia. Or the real issue is animals, not sexism. I think that idea of like, the real issue is, is a real negative aspect uh, of just movements in general. So a lot of the time in environmental movements, the idea is the real issue is... Um, fossil fuels yes. and that and veganism is a distraction and it's like as Adam has already shown and will continue to show it's like this is a huge part of the puzzle it's not the only piece yep. like I was seeing with that one as well like human population probably also feeds into that as well and we've covered that on the show before as well but there's lots of different pieces but I would argue animal culture is a very important piece and it is often neglected in the environmental movement and, and needs to be addressed yeah absolutely yeah. and uh, in that context, you know, fossil fuels do certainly contribute the majority of, or sorry, the, the largest amount of um, carbon into the atmosphere, of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. But um, animal agriculture is certainly up there. And, and if we talk about different environmental impacts, if we talk about land use, for instance, um, and that is the removal of natural habitats or the um, change of, of landscapes to a degraded state, a state that we use for farming, that is the biggest cause mm. of environmental destruction and um, species extinction in the world mm. when we are changing habitats. Mm. And that the biggest driver of that is not fossil fuels. Fossil fuels you can dig up in small sort of spaces. I mean, Galilee Basin up in Queensland is going to be huge, mm. but arguably much, much smaller land footprint mm. than animal agriculture mm. and the land footprint of animal agriculture is really where um where the biggest issue is mm. um we're just using so much space mm. to grow and feed animals that it is um it's just not sustainable it's yeah. not something that's possible and, and another issue you can kind of clarify this, but one thing I have heard, and I'll, I'll refer to Adam to fact check this, but obviously fossil fuels have a lot of carbon dioxide, which is an important greenhouse gas, uh, but animal agriculture releases methane, which I believe is much more potent than carbon dioxide. And also another thing I've heard uh, is that if we got rid of carbon dioxide now, like stop producing it, it'd still take a long time to actually recover from that, whereas methane, I, I can't remember, I think it was like a few decades versus a lot longer for carbon dioxide, like it would actually we'd see the benefits of that a lot sooner. Is that uh, sort of an issue with methane? Yeah, so yeah. methane's a much um, shorter-lived it, yeah. um, greenhouse gas, mm. and, and it, is, it is quite potent. Mm. So um, 
So yes, it has a higher warming effect mm. than carbon dioxide, and um, but it does live shorter. So yeah. if you if you if say tomorrow we got rid of uh, or we ended animal agriculture, mm-hmm. and by next year there were no um, farmed animals around, mm. then we would get this sort of spring in our step just for mm. a small amount of time, yeah. where we'd have this reduction of methane possibly, mm. um, and that could give us a little bit of leeway. Mm. You know, I, yeah. um, not super clear on on how much and how long that would be in Mm. terms of the science i'd have to look into that a little bit more and i think there is some research on that Mm. um but certainly we'd it it sort of would buy us time Mm. while we tackle the bigger question of of carbon dioxide i mean ultimately we need to get rid of them all of course yesterday yeah Yeah, exactly um but but animal agriculture is certainly one of these um one of these levers that we Mm. can pull to really help us and and if we don't we will reach the two two degrees mm. easily. Even mm. if we got if we went fossil free tomorrow, yeah. we're still gonna be on online for hitting two degrees if we don't get rid of things like animal agriculture by twenty fifty. Exactly. And I think um, that's the issue of carbon dioxide. It's like of course we have to get rid of it. Yeah, not today, like as you say, yesterday, but we won't kind of because it stays in the air so long, like we won't see those benefits for a long time. And of course, as you know, environmentalists often point out, we need to start reducing like right now, like you know, or as you say, ten, twenty several years ago. So I think that is a really important aspect of animal agriculture that methane issue in the shorter life yeah and i suppose one of the um there's a few myths around um animal agriculture and and plant-based diets and what that means for the environment and one question that you might get is but doesn't growing plant-based foods have the same environmental impacts or more because you know you're eating now you're eating more plants so you've got to grow more plants doesn't that take up more space if i just had a cow um, and that's that's not actually true because when you are growing a cow, you're actually growing a lot of feed and um, to to feed that cow, and you're reducing the energy that you can get out of crops um, into a human, for instance, because you're feeding it first. You've, you've got all these crop energy that you've produced from you know corn or grain, and you're feeding that into cows, and you lose a lot of that in. Um, just the cow living, um, heating its own body in the things that we don't eat from the cow, like the bones, you know, you're losing a lot of energy and you only get a small amount of energy of that total that you first put into it um, through those grains and those crops, Um, which means that we are growing a whole lot of crops in the world to feed animals. Mm. And I think that often comes up when people talk about the... uh, environmental impact of animal agriculture it's like oh but that this is bad like plant-based foods that's bad for the environment that's for the environment bad for the environment and that that is true I mean, of course we shouldn't just go we're vegan and that's it everything's fine but at the same time it's sort of a distraction from the issue that even though plant-based foods do have an environmental impact and do have different environmental impacts for different plant-based foods overall eating a plant-based diet has such a lower impact compared to eating a diet with animals in it and so it's kind of a distraction in a way even though it is important to address it doesn't take away from the fact that yeah that that central issue of the different carbon footprint which again adam's got some nice graphs you can check out in our facebook page as well and really to sort of um hammer this idea home of this land use because this is really where we gain environmental benefit if we do end plant-based uh, if we do end animal um, agriculture and shift to a plant-based diet is that approximately 75 percent of all agricultural land in the world is dedicated to um, growing animals so that's both 
farmland for animals and pasture land for feeding animals. 75%. That's a huge number. Uh, two, uh, three, three quarters of all, all agricultural land. And that makes up about 28% of the total terrestrial um, face of the earth. So all the land in the earth, on earth, um, 28% of that is taken up to just feed animals and grow animals so that we can eat them. Mm. And there was a recent, um, recent study that I imagine many people would have seen that showed that um, animal agriculture only, only contributes to about, um, or meat and dairy provides about 18% of calories. Mm. So we are using three quarters of our, um, of our agricultural land to produce only 18% of the calories that we're consuming. Yeah. And what that means is if we move away from animal agriculture, we actually reduce the amount of land that we need to grow all of the food energy to support humanity. Um, and that means we could regrow and rewild um, large areas of our terrestrial landscape. And I personally, I think that has um, many potential benefits. One, we get some um, drawdown carbon. We're, we're drawing down carbon by growing trees and forests and um, grasslands that, uh, and we'll need that to be able to tackle climate change. And you're also rewilding all of these different spaces that will hopefully become good habitat and good ecosystems for species to repopulate and um, get a get a good foothold uh, back in the world. Um, one of the biggest issues that we have around species uh, extinction and um, all of those issues around different animals is that we parcel up the land and we've created these small habitats and then they're on the brink of, um, of extinction because they've just got no space. Mm. So we let these landscapes grow and regrow we have far more space for these animals to to move into. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think on that note, we might go to a song. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to introduce the song? Yeah, sure. So we're going to play it 21st Century Survival Blues. This is by Frank Turner from the album Be More Kind, and it's basically all about surviving the apocalypse, which is coming if we don't do something about climate change. I thought it was really very relevant to all the kinds of things we've been discussing. Here's Frank Turner. I think maybe Frank Turner isn't with us. Um, We'll just have to check that. Um, And... We'll just go to a little... In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just 30 You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Got 
misery, survival blues are conditioned, brought on by watching the news. Things have been quiet for far too long, and if I know human beings, things are gonna go wrong. We were raised in a glade of unsustainable peace, not many of us ever have to live on our knees. I'm scared that I won't have the strength that it takes to stand up when the levy breaks. So meet me at home when the sirens go off. And that was Frank Turner, uh, 21st Century Survival Blues. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR 855 AM. And we've been talking about um, the connection between animal agriculture and in the, the environment and why we need to be really shifting towards a plant-based diet in, t- in order to um, achieve environmental protection and a sustainable world, really. Mm-hmm. And Nick, you've you've been so. When we're talking about this this issue, it can be very easily easily um, come across as if we we just really need to um, either reduce our consumption of animals. That's that's a really strong thing that's put across in the environmental movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and and or in conservation, particularly. Uh, conservationists do not think about individuals. They think about um, collectives. They think about species, ecosystems, communities. And there there are some ethical issues with that. And I think that um, you've got some good things to, to mm. say on this. And do you want to talk about how we really need to be considering the individual when we're mm. talking about drawing the connection between animals and the environment? Yeah, so, I mean, I think there are definitely, uh, like, scientific reasons which we touched on. So I'll just give one stat and then we'll kind of move on from that because Adam's covered that really well. But the World Preservation pointed out in a study a a global vegan diet of conventional crops, so not organic but just conventional, would reduce dietary emissions by 87% compared to a token 8% for sustainable meat and dairy. So it's like we can do meat and dairy better, but it's going to be quite a token impact. And as anyone who's even had a brief look at the climate science knows we need like big changes not token changes so there's that side but also as adam touched on the sort of the importance of the individual i thought a good starting point for that um is a cartoon which i'll just describe i thought we could possibly make this the image for this episode maybe if it works but either way um there's a really great cartoon so a fish is being caught and the little fish they're thinking like the little thought bubble is on a personal level i don't see how this will be sustainable and i thought that was a really good just sort of sums up that thing of like yeah okay we're talking about like sustainable animal farming or whatever it's like is it very sustainable for the individual probably not <laughs> so I thought, not, not yeah. particularly sustainable in terms of their life, life exactly. expectancy is it yeah <laughs> so it's like we need to talk about when we're talking about eating animals when we're talking about environmental campaigns whatever it is moving beyond just talking about environments and ecosystems or that's obviously important but also there's individuals in there as well like this fish in the cartoon for example yeah mm. yeah and i also uh thought uh one, one when i've given talks before one survey i've often cited this is from the study called a pound of flesh which uh, it was a survey of over 1,000 Australians, and this survey, probably unsurprisingly, found that 99% of Australians are against cruelty to animals. And what I've often said with that that sort of stat is like, 
how do you define cruelty to animals and is it consistent with eating animals in terms of, you know, even in free range and organic, we still get um, the slaughter of animals, including in, you know, free range organic dairy or eggs that they're killed as soon as they're no longer productive to the industry. So because we don't need these products and they cause death, is that like, think about that to yourself. Is that, is that cruelty or is it not? But actually definitely from some of Adam's points from the student sustainability, I kind of thought about it that from a different way in terms of, trying to think it from the animal's perspective, not just thinking, oh, how do you define cruelty, but actually what would the animal define as cruel? What would the mm. animal define yeah. as, like, unacceptable? Like, And I know, um, like, Peter Singer, for example, obviously did a lot. Um, he wrote Animal Liberation, I think, in 1975, and he did a lot to shift the discussions around animals in a more radical direction from a purely uh, welfare focus of bigger cages, people actually going vegetarian and challenging the animals. So he definitely did do a lot. Um, back then but some of his more recent work one thing he said is that you should visit the slaughterhouse for example and see if you're okay with how the animals are treated Mm. and I was kind of thinking that I I would be glad if people did that because I think if more people saw it they would give up animals but to me if you decide that's okay that's not really a more ethical decision it's just a more informed decision Mm. and it's not really just like in in the sort of the power imbalance like where the oppressors where the privileged group as humans over animals is not really up for us to say we're okay with it we should also think about whether the animal will be okay with it as well yeah Yeah, and and it's a very like it sort of comes from um correct me if i'm wrong nick but Mm. from feminist thinking Mm. the the feminist perspective so when you're thinking about um an injustice that's occurring or you're thinking about an action taking an action on another individual Mm. think about their perspective within that situation so if i for instance if i said well i'm okay going up and punching this random person in the face Mm. that that's okay for me that does not make it all right (laughs) exactly because every Everyone can recognise that that person does not want to be punched in the face. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that animals similarly do not want to be kicked, beaten, Mm. killed Mm. um, for their flesh to be consumed. And and this is something that we were having discussions. um, I was having discussions with some environmentalists before um, students of sustainability. And this this concept was not something that that really um, they had thought about before. And when I would say... Well, if you're if you're arguing to use animals, have you thought about it from the perspective of the animal that you are um, killing? Mm. And and that that sort of shocked quite a few people. Mm. And I think because environmentalists often have this collective idea of species of groups of populations, they don't really reduce it down to that. Okay, is it okay to kill an individual? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think yeah, in terms of like research, one. Uh, one to get a bit nerdy from you know, I'm a sociologist. I mentioned there's a theory called functionalism, which basically like think inequality exists, but it helps society function and it's good. And so these um, you know white male academics are sort of um, given. It's a quite an old theory it's from the 1940s, um, but well, that's where it sort of has its origins. But they're arguing that you know like gender hierarchies are fine, for example, because they're functional and men will do certain role and women will do certain roles. And often, as a sociologist, I'll critique that as well they're, they're sort of winning out in this hierarchy like they're the they're the um man they're the, like gender 
the the inequality can look very functional if you're winning out from it. And I think there's very similar um, parallels to be drawn with animal agriculture. A lot of people say this is mutually beneficial, mm. right? And it's like, but that is coming from the oppressor. That is coming from the privileged group within this. And it can look mutually beneficial. It can look great for everyone if you're the one winning out. So we've got to consider that like as humans, we're the one winning, winning out for this in terms of like economically and, you know, eating certain products, et cetera. Um, and I think all the all these discussions amongst humans will always be human-centric because it is happening amongst humans. But I do think we can at least challenge that to a degree and at least think about as much as possible what would the animal think? How would the animal define cruelty rather than purely keeping it within this human-centred framework? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, also bringing this individual idea into the uh, environmental campaign. So, yeah, one one thing I was thinking about is um, Adam actually called me about doing this talk when I was walking around the botanic gardens with my dogs, which I love doing. <laughs> and, yeah, I was kind of thinking about that in terms of just sort of maybe thinking about it as I, what will I talk about in this. And I was thinking that if the botanic gardens or any kind of like bushland sort of nature area, if it's sort of demolished for, you know, housing or for some development or whatever, it's like why is that? a harm and so often you know to me why that would be a harm isn't just because i enjoy walking through it although it's often framed that way that that is one angle one sort of frame we can view it through in terms of people enjoy it for leisure but i would also argue not only is that ecosystem important but that area is important it's a home for individual animals Mm. and i think that's something that is often left out of environmental campaigns and and on that point um there was earlier this year there was some research that actually um, sort of looked at looked at say for climate change. We we this is something that yeah we often do. Nick is we, we sort of say yes it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad for the environment. It's going to be bad for the globe. But we don't really um, connect that to individuals. Mm. And there was some research earlier this year that showed they looked at all the different um, threatened species, terrestrial species um, for mammals, for instance, in the world, and they. Uh, looked at lots and lots of different studies and estimated that climate change is already negatively impacting 47% of um, threatened mammalian species, which is an incredible number. So there's about 870 um, threatened species, threatened mammalian species. So what we're talking about, 450 or 435 um, species are already negatively impacted. And that is that is things like um, they don't live as long or their habitats have been changed or um, all of these different um, morphological changes because of the change in the environment. And that is impacting individuals. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's global and it's huge. Yeah. And also I think, you know, sometimes animals are brought into environmental campaigns, but only when they're endangered species. So I remember a campaign I was involved with back in Perth where I'm from. It's like we can't do this because there's a particular endangered species there. But um, as, as we kind of touched on before with that, like fish being caught, for example, it doesn't really matter to the individual that much whether they're endangered. Maybe it is maybe an additional harm from a conservation point of view, but to the individual, if they get, killed through their um, habitat being bulldozed or yeah just land being cleared in general the the, the fact whether they're endangered or whether they're not is sort of besides the point to the individual and again linking it to the human context if a human's you know home livelihood gets destroyed by development or something we don't need to say are they endangered humans for example like Mm -hmm. there there is that thing of like maybe there are certain like they're not we're all the same species but maybe a cultural group who's you know sort of dying out that might be a particular harm but it doesn't need to be that to be a harm it's like it's going to be a 
um, individual, like humans are important. I guess that's sort of like the idea of animal rights, bring the idea of animals are important as individuals. And I wanted to mention the show uh, War on Waste, which has been, um, yeah, so it's Craig Rucastle on the ABC here in Australia. He was from the comedy group Chaser, have done lots of stuff on ABC over the years. And yeah, it's all about um, waste and plastic waste and this kind of issue. And yeah, I thought one thing that I quite like about it is that it does bring in individual animals. So um, plastic waste, for example, doesn't just harm um, marine environments as a whole, but they actually went to like a turtle sanctuary and, and visited an individual turtle who had a straw up their nose, for example, and, and had been harmed in that way. And, and so it actually is shown that these things do affect the individual. So I, I, do, I do really like that, um, yeah, like that focus of the show, bringing that individual. I think we definitely should do that more in environmental campaigns, not just for, um, not just for endangered species, but animals as a whole. And I think not only is it sort of good from an animal rights standpoint, but I think it's another really strong case to object to developments and in that war on waste show a lot of people were like really upset by this individual turtle so i think it's something that won't just appeal to vegans or animal rights activists but just to the general public a lot of people might be more involved with environmental campaigns if we do emphasize the individual animals mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and another uh, issue with I want to mention as well um, with this, uh, it sort of relates to environmental and, and veganism, that kind of thing. But there's been a plastic bag ban recently in Australia from the big outlets, big supermarkets, Woolworths and Coles. And basically both of them sort of um, stopped giving out free plastic bags about the same time. And there's been this massive backlash against that. I've just been amazed to see the huge out, outcry. I don't know if you bring your green shopping bags along Adam but I, I do and I was doing it already but there was this massive backlash and I was kind of thinking that in relation to veganism in that this sort of shows the difficulty actually changing people's behaviors like this is a fairly minor behavior change in terms of bringing bags along when you go shopping but people were really really resistant to that and I was thinking in veganism, I, I don't think we're asking people a hell of a lot. It depends like in, on your circumstance. But either way, we're asking people to do a lot more than just bring plastic bags along. Like it's a bigger change than that. <laughs> and so I was thinking we really are up against it as vegan advocates just because it is really hard to not just change attitudes, but change behaviors. I think that, that really showed that as well, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and ingrained in cultures and identity for far longer than um, you getting free plastic bags at the supermarket, yep. which yep. is only a, a relative recent um, thing in our society. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And to get sort of sociological, I, I, there's a sociologist and animal advocate, Roger Yates, and he sort of sums this up really nicely, is people like to go with the flow. And so I think when it comes to eating animals, most people eat animals because most people eat animals. So there's other reasons beyond that, but I think that is a big one. As the Dom Society, and I was actually reading a book recently on meat alternatives, and one person said, um, the normality of eating meat alternatives, I believe, comes with a social acceptance and at the moment this is not the norm i prefer to be part of the society and to follow its norms so that's why they didn't switch over those meat alternatives and most people aren't that sort of upfront about it but i think that is a huge a huge barrier to um yeah to vegan activism uh and i did want to we're going to go to track in a sec but i did want to quickly mention sort of on the flip side of it in terms of the vegan thing just very briefly but we've kind of mentioned that idea of like the real problem and i think that is a problem in the vegan movement that sometimes when 
uh, vegans like such as myself, I've been involved in these climate marches, for example, and we're promoting veganism. Sometimes we've framed ourselves as an oppositional force rather than part of the environment movement. I think we really have to go rather than using language like we need to talk about the real problem of animal agriculture or the real um, solution, which is veganism, is um, actually talking about veganism as part of the environmental movement rather than like an opposition to it. So it's like it's not we have to do veganism instead of fossil fuels and changing mm. transport and addressing urban sprawl. It's like we need to do veganism as well as all yep. those things. And I think that would be a, a way in which we could get um, less environmentalists offside of actually framing this as part of it rather than a counter to it and maybe avoiding phrases like you can't be a meat-eating environmentalist because I think that it, it sort of frames it along one issue where there's, there's lots of ways we can sort of um, have an impact on the environment. Um, Naomi Klein's documentary, This Changes Everything, looked at the environmentalism of the poor and the fact that these people are most affected by climate change in poorer countries are actually doing activism. And many of these people may have a lower environmental impact than me, for example, mm. even though they may, are likely not be vegan and I am vegan because there's so many factors that go into our carbon footprint. As Adam touched on, and, you know, animal agriculture environment is a big one and it really is really important to address, but it's not the only thing going on. So I think we could maybe change that language to animal agriculture is an important environmental issue. And versus, yeah, one of yeah. one of one of yeah. the top, and as yeah. a, from a personal perspective, mm-hmm. um, uh, sorry, individual perspective, mm-hmm. it is the largest um, environmental um, the, or the largest contribution you make to the degradation of the environment is through mm-hmm. your diet if you do consume animals. Mm-hmm. So certainly something that you need to do. But globally and structurally, as mm-hmm. a society and as a culture, um, animal agriculture is part of the massive issue, mm-hmm. but. Also, you know, industrialized agriculture is a big issue as well. And yeah. so is fossil fuels and so is transport and so is our um, population growth. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. All of these things play a, play a big role, but um, animal agriculture certainly up there. Yeah, exactly. And I think also the, the, also the problem of using this language, like the real problem or the real issue is that that is how people often sideline veganism as well. Mm. So often we'll get anti-capitalists like Marxists, for example, say, no, the real issue is capitalism mm. rather than veganism. It's like, well, yeah, capitalism is, issue, and, and is an issue and relates to animals as well, but veganism is important too. And so in saying, oh, it's fossil fuels is the real issue, it's not veganism. I think that often sidelines veganism, so we shouldn't kind of try and do the same thing to these other issues as well. Mm. And this yeah. is sort of part of a growing conversation mm. that I'm hearing within the movement around ideas of connections between injustices and forms of oppression, mm-hmm. intersectionality, and um, and this idea that's been around for a little while but hasn't really gotten a lot of, um, a lot of time or airplay in the activist space, which is mm-hmm. total liberation. Mm-hmm. So we're working towards the liberation of animals, of the environment, and of humans from all forms of oppression. Mm-hmm. And without... without um, achieving liberation for one or the other we can't achieve liberation for all of them because mm. they are so intricately connected i mean there was a recent um a recent study published re- uh last week i think it was um on that was called seeing slavery in the seafood industry mm. and that was talking about um the how there is so much human slavery in the seafood industry. And they were talking about how we can make the seafood industry better for humans. Mm. But they also didn't address the issue of actually consuming fish Mm. and other animals from the oceans and how that is an oppression. So 
I would argue that we need to combine those two things and we need to talk about seafood mm. as a wrong in itself, both mm. for humans who are, who are enslaved in that industry, but also for the animals who are being killed by that industry. Yeah, and I think also thinking intersectionally as well um, from a vegan perspective of moving beyond is it vegan, is it not, but thinking about other issues. So on the 25th of June on Freedom of Species, we had Narelle and Nico talking about plastic rubbish and marine animals. So using plastic is vegan, like vegans do it, but it doesn't mean it, like, it does harm animals. So it's not just animal agriculture that harms animals. There's other issues. And also that labour issue, um, we spoke yesterday at a Critical Animal Studies event about the issue of like child labour and slave labour in chocolate, for example. So it, it can be overwhelming doing everything, but thinking beyond not just I'm vegan and that's it, but I'm vegan and I want to try and do more beyond that as well. Yeah. Um, we better go to a track. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Freedom of Species at 3CR, 855 AM. And what track are we going to be listening? All right, we'll Nick. start it now. Um, but yeah, this is um, Hands on Stance by Ignite. And I thought this one was a really relevant one. It's a bit more of a positive one than the earlier one, which was all about the apocalypse. But it's quite a positive one on actually winning environmental victories. And I thought it was quite... Um, yeah, quite relevant to what we've been discussing because it doesn't just talk about the environment as a whole, but it also talks about campaigns for individual animals, such as the use of animals in circuses, for example. The 2018 Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on the 11th of August at the Brunswick Town Hall. Stalls, books, projects and organisations fighting for a better world, here and abroad. Come for the stalls, stay for the workshops. Topics ranging from Indigenous struggles and decolonisation, climate change, anti-racism, unions, feminism, refugees, Anarchy 101 and so much more. Interested in a stall? Email us on info at amelbournebookfair.org That's info at amelbournebookfair.org Or message us on our Facebook page Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair 2018 A 3CR supporter And you're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR 855 AM or via your podcast. Um, and Nick, we just heard uh, about the Anarchist Book Fair that's happening 
next weekend on Saturday. Mm. Only six six days, a couple more sleeps. Um, do you want to mention, I think you're giving a talk. I am. I also want to mention that we'll be doing a Freedom of Species stall there as well. So Freedom of Species and 3CR stall. So come and say hi. And yeah, we also are giving a talk uh, around animals and anarchism. So that is Jess Ison, who's been on the show a bit recently. Um, also Lara Drew and myself, all from the Institute for Critical Animal Studies. And we'll be running a workshop on an anarchist analysis of the campaign against live animal export. And yeah, the, 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 uh, and yeah, we'll be talking a bit about um, yeah that issue of live export, but also using that as a starting point to talk about some greater connections that we can have between um, anarchist movements and animals. All three of us are anarchists, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to checking all the sessions there. There'll be talks going all day, um, and yeah, particularly how animals relate to that. And some other um, upcoming events. So in September the 22nd, a little while away, but it's worth um, putting in your calendar, is the Youth Animal Rights Conference. And this is for youth 25 and under, and it's being put on by a fantastic um, group who we've had actually come and chat earlier this year. You'll be able to find the um, the podcast if you want to hear from them, um, Young Voices for Animals, Eva. And that's Saturday, September the 22nd. It's going to be at the Multicultural Hub in Melbourne CBD. So find them. That's Eva, Young Voices for Animals. Find them on Facebook and you'll be able to find that event there. Mm. And I should also mention the Anarchist Book Fair is Saturday the August the 11th from 10am till 6pm at Brunswick Town Hall. And you can find all the information at amelbournebookfair.org. Yeah, great. Another event coming up is um, Friends of the Farm, a vegan fundraising dinner and trivia night. And that's going to be supporting Edgar's Mission Farm Sanctuary, that fantastic place, a sanctuary for many, many animals um, and a beautiful place to visit if you get the chance. And that's running on August the 24th, 7pm to 11pm. Tickets are $70 and include a vegan cocktail dinner um, and drinks and trivia and lots and lots of fun. So check that out again. Um, you'll be able to check that out at a uh, Eventbrite page. But if you just look up Friends of the Farm, you'll be able to find that trivia night. I wanted to give another plug for the show War on Waste, so you can check that out on ABC iView if you're in Australia. It's also available on YouTube as well, I'm sure, if you're outside Australia. But, uh, yeah, it was quite interesting. They thought that show probably wouldn't be that successful, and it really did take off. And I think it is really important that a lot of discussions about climate change and the environment have really fallen by the wayside in the mainstream, and I feel like that has, uh, yeah, definitely picked up these discussions. People are actually thinking about waste, and obviously, as we touched on earlier, it's not the whole you know, piece of the puzzle. It's like the you know, waste is part of it. There's also animal agriculture and so many other issues. But I think waste is a really important part of the puzzle. And I'm really glad to see that it's being addressed and also being watched by so many people. So check that out on iView. And do you have any other any other announcements? Uh, there? No, I think uh, just or just for our show, you can listen to all our episodes at freedomofspecies.org. Check out our old episodes there. You can also contact us at info at freedomofspecies.org. You can also contact us on Facebook, search Freedom of Species, and on Twitter, we're at FOS Radio. And just before we go, I want to um, mention next week's show, which is very relevant to our topic today, environmentalism and um, conservation. There's, we're going to have on um, Charlie Jackson Martin from Sydney Fox and Dingo Rescue and Andy Medic uh, of AJP fame in the in to discuss um, the upcoming symposium on 1080 poison. And, you know, the um, killing of non-native individuals in our environments, particularly Australia, New Zealand, um, other Western um, societies, 
societies is rampant and horrible. Mm-hmm. And um, it's great to know that there's people out there looking to rescue these individuals and um, trying to stop these types of um, injustices occurring. So definitely tune in next week if you want to learn about those uh, those two important issues. Yeah, and I do want to say as well, if you want to sort of a taste of that, I really enjoyed seeing the Sydney, the Sydney Fox Rescue on the feed SBS. So if you look that up on YouTube, Sydney Rescue Feed or something like that, um, it was a really interesting uh, interview they had and I really liked the way in which, you know, again, these individuals... You know, it's not their fault they're in introduced species or anything like that. And I think we really need to care for these individuals. And I, I love to see uh, their attitude towards animals from the Sydney Fox Rescue. Yeah, fantastic. And um, so thank you very much for tuning in to Freedom of Species and 3CR. And stay tuned for Encycadelia up next. They're going to have a great show. Okay, all the best. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.